Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Hockey News on the E! podcast presented by BetMGM. I'm Jacob Stoller from the Hockey News alongside Justin Cohn from the Fort Wayne Journal-Gazette. And speaking of Fort Wayne, we're going to start today's show off with the news of Michael Franke, longtime president and co-owner of the Fort Wayne Comets dating back to the 1990s, passed away Sunday night at 63 years old after a battle with cancer. Uh, Justin, you wrote a piece uh, just kind of speaking of the aura of Franke and how prevalent he was in the operation for the Journal Gazette. So we'd be remiss not to start with you on just the Franke and the situation here. Yeah. So we could fill an entire episode with Michael Franke stuff, but you know, for a listenership that's not from Fort Wayne, I think there's, there's two big things that I think people would be interested in first. Um, you know, how many of us have ever kind of dreamed that we could somehow buy the sports team that we grew up loving because that's what the Franke family did. Mm-hmm. So the Comets have been here since 1952, old storied franchise, the whole family grew up fans. And then there's this sort of wild story in 1990 that the previous owner, David Welker, um, was going to move the team to Albany, New York. And they, he did do that. It became the Albany River Rats. Uh, and there was suddenly not going to be hockey here. And so the Franke family, and these were all young guys at the time, mobilized really quickly, put together some money, bought the Flint Spirits, moved them to Fort Wayne, bought the Comet name and logo, and made sure that there is contiguous hockey here. So one interesting thing about that is you can debate the Comets are not the same. You know, they like to say they're the second yeah. oldest team in minor league. It's technically not true. That that team did go to Albany, New York, but we like to just kind of conveniently <laughs> ignore that. Um, but, you know, to grow up a fan of a team and now you're suddenly owning it. And there was mm-hmm. basically, there was five brothers, but three of them were, were in charge of it. Steve Franke is the money. David Franke took over the hockey operations, became the general manager. And Michael Franke took over the business operations. And these guys got to run this team and they still are uh, with the exception of two of the brothers now. Uh, So that's pretty cool. And then three years in, they won their first championship. And for people of my age, it is maybe the most famous minor league hockey championship that has ever happened. Because there was a team, Jacob, that year. It was the San Diego Gulls. And it was regarded at that time as the greatest team outside of the NHL, maybe ever in North America at least you go look up the line. What year was this? 1992-93. Go right. look up the San Diego goals of that. I mean, it was a litany of former and future NHL players. They just never lost. They were ridiculous. And then there's little Fort Wayne with these young owners who are still learning what the heck they're doing. And they had this incredible run. Uh, it really starts second half of the regular season, but they went undefeated in the playoffs, including sweeping this great San Diego team. Now that Fort Wayne team was coached by Al Sims, who would go on, who would, was Bobby Orr's line mate or defense partner, went on to coach at the NHL. Uh, Pokey Reddick, who has a Stanley Cup ring for his time with the Oilers, he was the Fort Wayne goaltender. So it's a very famous team. Uh, and Michael Franke, of course, is a big part of that. So the last... The, I wanted the, to ask you something yeah. about that. Is uh, remember we had Miles Jack on, who's mm-hmm. since joined the Pittsburgh Steelers. 
Steelers, mm-hmm. but him and his mother, Lasonia bought uh, the Allen Americans. The Franke brothers are running, you know, have around Fort Wayne for a while. I'm curious. Cause there's also those, those big groups that own multiple teams. These stage shall, how many, how many family run businesses exist in the E now? I don't think too many, depending on how you kind of define that, but not, not like you're saying, you know, yeah. Not, Small business, and this is what I mean. Their whole um, this is their this is their bread and butter. Well, except for Steven, who's the money guy. He has a whole company, a worldwide company called Midwest uh, Quality Gloves. It's based in Missouri, so he's not actually in Fort Wayne. He is the majority of the money. I see. Um, So that's why I'm kind of hesitant. Like, is that really that different than let's just say the Indy Fuel, which is owned by Jim Hallett? who's got a lot of money from the auto industry. Um, not okay. totally different, but this is family-owned, family-run. Family-run, maybe be the community. way I should have phrased it. Yeah, yeah very I much mean, community. It's, it's interesting. Like, it, it's, it's, not, it's an interesting comparison you make, though, to Alan. It but it, it's an int- it's cool. Like, I can't, like, that actually would be a great like movie plot in the sense of like not even just you grow up a fan and you own the team, but doing with your brothers. Like, yeah. What was Michael like amongst them? Like, was he was he a colorful character? Or was it or was it the GM I'm thinking of that was he was the one that's quite colorful or is? Well, one Michael to me was much more colorful. David, the GM, uh, may look a little bit more colorful to people that don't know him, but Michael right. was uh, always jokes, always bad jokes too. I mean, right. didn't know it matter whether you knew him or not. He would just walk up to strangers and tell some awful joke, and it would usually be so awful that you would laugh at it because it was just sort of funny that he was even telling it. Um, but, you know, so many stories, uh, you know, he would hang out, you know, talk to fans in the lobby, um, you know, get would get very excitable during games. I mean, I would always get if they were doing poorly, this would happen maybe once a year. And usually if the Comets were really stinking up the joint from a big crowd, he'd kind of lean over and he'd say, hey, you know, I wouldn't be opposed to you interviewing me during the next intermission which was just meant he was going to go off on right. something. Yeah. I, absolutely, Michael. Like, how yeah. much time do you need? So, yeah, he was pretty savvy in that way because he came from media. He worked in radio. Right. Um, but, the you know, the other thing I would want to say is there have been so many changes over the years in minor league hockey. And very few teams have survived all those changes. You know, whether it's expansion, it's reduction, it's – the economy, it's leagues folding, getting absorbed. Um, the Comets have survived like very few other teams, maybe no other team. Right. Uh, and part of that is because they have a, a pretty good talent of seeing the writing on the wall. So I was here in 1999 when they moved from the old IHL, which was on par with the AHL, to the AA level of hockey. People here hated it. They did not get it. I wasn't happy about it. You know, I go from covering guys like Kevin Weeks, uh, you know, NHL prospects to the next day. I'm grinding out in some league called the United Hockey League. Never heard of it. Um, you know, Wild West down there. Uh, so people were not happy, but they were right to do it, especially in hindsight, because minor league hockey was changing. And that entire league folded within two years and it got gobbled up and there was spending and travel and it was just out of control. And then... The UHL was great hockey, but again, then they identified this is going the wrong direction. And they, you know, for lack of a better way of saying it, started their own league, the second IHL, which was all Midwest, very little travel, only six or seven teams, depending on the year. So you're seeing this, but 
it was great hockey and everybody hated each other and there was fighting and there was excitement and you knew the referees every night and it was a lot of fun. And anyway, so then they go to the CHL and ECHL and they survive all these things. But along the way there are, he became a very powerful figure and it was identifying the right markets. It was identifying what rules changes we should make. Right. And knowing his, knowing the product, knowing what he was going to get with the community. Well, and, and a lot of people through the years would come to Fort Wayne to kind of learn how they do things here. And because they saw the success and they wanted to copy business practices or whatnot. And there's one, one little thing that was always of interest. And that was the relationship with the Coliseum. People don't tend to understand this. They'll complain about ticket prices here or parking prices. The Comets don't, I mean, now they get a little bit, but typically over the years, they have never gotten any of the parking. They've not gotten any of the concessions. They have gotten very little. They get ticket sales and the rest is sponsorships. And that's what people don't understand where a city like Kalamazoo, if you own the building, you get everything, you know? Mm. So because of that, you have to compensate in other ways. Maybe your tickets are a little more expensive and sometimes the fans don't get that. But people would come to Fort Wayne to learn about how they did it. And I, I don't know a thousand percent how true this is, but I always heard this and I should really look into it. They set what was, for a lot of people, the standard lease in a lot of buildings. And what they did is when they came in, the Comets had to pay, when the Frankies came in, they had to pay rent uh, just to use the building. Yeah. And the Frankies, what they did is they said, well, that that doesn't make much sense to us. If we're going to get so many people in here, um, we don't think we should have to pay rent because you're going to make so much money based on the concessions and the parking. Like you should be giving us that money and enabling us to use it in other ways to get the fan, that attendance number up. So what they did was they reversed it. And the lease became... You don't have to pay rent as long as you get a certain number of fans in the building. And that number was 6,000 forever. It was 6,000. You get 6,000 people in the building. You don't have to pay rent. And that became something that was copied all over the place. Because think about it. The building is getting its money either way, right? You know, if they don't get 6,000 and they always got 6,000 in, then we're going to get paid for it. But if they do, they do have a big crowd then we're going to make even more money because they're going to be buying popcorn and hot dogs and all that crap. And so that became like the model lease for decades. And it used to be kind of interesting because that number, that 6,000, like we would have to pull a a freedom of information every couple of years just to, just to see the numbers because announced attendance is very different than turnstile attendance. And we would get interested to see how often they were paying rent. Never were paying rent because it had become such a product here. So that's just one example of what, an influence that he had that people wouldn't know on other teams because they would come say, we're having problems working with our building. We can't come to a lease agreement. How do you do it here? And they would see how Fort Wayne did it and then copy it and go back to their own buildings. That's interesting. Yeah. You need to, you need to know the market in minor league sports. And I think that a lot of these, what's it called? Zoyer sports they're called. They have Jacksonville and Allen. They run a couple of those teams. Yeah, I think so. Those kind of big, um, What's the word for consortium? What's the word again for a group of people that go consortium? by consortium? Consortium, yeah. Consortium? yeah. Screw that word up. Um, those those types of 
big corporate entities need to learn from people like the Frankies, and it makes sense because of the legacy he had. Again, uh, our thoughts are with the family during this time, and uh, yeah, we want to talk about the impact he had. So, anyways, moving on to an interesting topic, you wrote about this recently too: uh, ECHL expansion. You had a talk with the ECHL commissioner Ryan Creelin on the desire to go to thirty-two teams. So. You know, it's funny to back into this, but you're saying you got to know the market. When you talk about expanding, you know, that's such a key part of, uh, of things. You know, I covered, you know, what is the six leagues for me? I've seen so many bad decisions through the years and ones that were so predictable and unavoidable. For instance, you know, in the United Hockey League, they decide to put an NHL team into Columbus after the Blue Jackets were there. Uh, they also put a team into Detroit. It was called the Motor City Mechanics. Of course, the Red Wings were there. Now, that one might be slightly less egregious than the Columbus decision, but but like anybody with half a brain was sitting there. They were called the Columbus Stars, and they were coached by Malcolm Cameron, who has coached in the ECHL, and they were really good. They made it a half a season. Like they did pretty well for themselves, but I remember this. They they were in first place. Like they were the best team in the league, and they folded midseason because the league had put a team into Columbus, Ohio, at the fairgrounds, like right down the street from the Blue Jackets. Like, how did anybody think that was a good idea? So, can you imagine that though? The best team in the league folds midseason, and you have to have an expansion tra- or a uh, like a dispersal draft of their players. Yeah. Like that's what happened. Um, I don't remember what happened with the coach, though. I don't think he was available in that draft. Uh, so, you know, just decisions. You know, I've seen leagues, the UHL is the best example, that they just would – it seems like they would give a team to anybody who wanted one. Like, if you just said, hey, I got $10,000 here. I got your expansion fee. Give me a team. Okay, where are we going? Where are we going? Um, I think I'm going to go to Kendallville, Indiana. All right, that works. Yeah. You know, just get back to us with the name. Uh, so – you got to try to avoid that stuff. Right. Um, but also, um, you know, you got, you just, you got to be smart about the geography of it. What I was going to say that that was the first thing I was wondering, like geography wise. Okay. So do you foresee a situation where you can get the 32 teams without completely reconfigurating the divisional makeup? Well, so I, I mean, I was backing into it. So, I, I spent two days with Ryan Creelan. So he's the commissioner of the league. He was, he was in Fort Wayne and then he was in Indy the next night. I was there too. So, you know, we chatted a good bit about this and right now they're at 28 teams. Yeah. As we talked about last week, they're going to go to 29 next year. That's the Lake Tahoe Knight monsters. Um, oh <laughs> I know you love that name. Love it. Uh, I, we're going to get you a Jersey for like right behind you. We're going to cover up that Blackhawks Jersey and put the Knight monsters. Tonight, monsters. Anyway, so that will bring us to 29. Um, There are all sorts of rumors about what's 30. Is it going to be Athens, Georgia? Would uh, there's all sorts of rumors out there. So he wants 32. And to get back to your point, the geography. Well, (laughs) yeah, it's got to make sense. Like he's excited about Lake Tahoe. One of the reasons is it's going to give Utah and Idaho, uh, somebody else to play out there, you know, so that Utah doesn't have all these crazy trips. Um, But yeah, we're becoming very much, again, a coast-to-coast league. Um, 
you know, I don't know if you'll remember this. It was what, 10 years ago, there was this mass geographic shift, you know, teams like Worcester, like the teams were moving from the AHL to the ECHL, the ECHL to the AHL. And the whole idea was to get some geographic sensibility about it. You know, like Bakersfield, Bakersfield no longer made sense for this league. So we'll put them in the other league. And it was tough for the fans because if you were in a market that was AHL and then you woke up one day and you're in the ECHL, um, you're getting different hockey just because we're redrawing the maps. Mm -hmm. Um, So now I see the ECHL kind of going again to this nationwide thing. And I'm fine with that, but it's all about the schedule. You know, like if you're in Lake Tahoe and you're having to make a bunch of trips to South Carolina or Newfoundland or Florida, you know, then you're getting into this, weird territory for me and that's where i would bring up the original ihl you know great league for decades and it got it got became nationwide and then they were spending tons of money on travel and there was more to that they were spending they were raising the salary cap and spending all sorts of money to try and compete with the nhl and the hl so there was more to it but travel was a big thing like if you were sitting there and you're you're in Fort Wayne, like there were trips, like you're you're going to San Antonio and then you're going to Atlanta and then you're coming back to Fort Wayne. And some of it you're busing, but a lot of it you're flying. And it's like minor league hockey. I mean, how often should you really be flying? I guess that's the question. So, so but let me, I'm curious about this angle too. I don't know if you got into this with them, but do you think that for those remaining three teams that are hopefully going to be added, do they have an idea of what type of ownership they want? Do they want to be involved in a parent club? Do they want to be someone local that owns it? Or third option being a big time, like a, a, an affiliate owns it, but then operated by a local entity. Do you have any insight into that? Well, we didn't talk a ton about where owners needed to be or whether they could be the NHL teams. Like we didn't really get into that. I now in hindsight, I wish I had, but we did talk a lot about making sure that you have the right owners, people that understand the markets and understand what needs to be done. I mean, I can tell you covering basketball, you know, it was, there was very much a move like there is in hockey or in the ECHL. Now we need to get a minor league team for every NBA team. That was the feeling in the G League. Yeah. The problem is when you start pressuring that, then you can make some mistakes or you can force people into products that they don't really want. So a lot of NBA teams, let's just focus on Fort Wayne because it actually happened here, but it was not just Fort Wayne. So the Pacers bought the Mad Ants, which was a Fort Wayne basketball team, and they're running them from afar. And yeah, they have people on the ground, but not people that were from Fort Wayne, not people that understood the market, what the fans want, what they're used to, what would make it successful. And they didn't have people that had relationships with the media or sponsors and whatnot. So when you do that, after some amount of time, you start losing money yeah, and you wake up and you're like, what the heck are we doing here? And you either get rid of the team or you move the team. So with the Fort Wayne basketball team, they moved them to Indianapolis. They brought them closer to them. But there are so many stories in basketball of that happening where it's like you took a great market, the NBA team took it over, and then it went sideways because the NBA has its way of doing things because they're not minor league people. They're not in that headspace. 
but they think what that will work at the NBA level will work at the minor league level. And that's not the case. And I've seen it in hockey. You know, I mean, you can talk about the quad cities. Um, quad cities was maybe the best double a market at the time, like the early two thousands. And then the, the Calgary flames came in and it became an AHL team and it was very short lived. Yes, And it, went sideways quicker than I, you could even imagine. And part of that's prices. Part of that's not necessarily understanding the market, but really a big part of it was prices. Um, so me personally, I get scared at the thought of NHL teams owning the ECHL teams because of that. It hasn't happened yet, but I feel like it's eventually going to happen that somebody's going to say, let's just buy the whole thing. You know, like, the Oilers, maybe they wake up and they say, you know, let's just buy the Fort Wayne. You know, then we can do what we want with it. We don't have to worry about dealing with the Frankies. We got this old historic market. Um, and that makes sense on paper. But if you don't have the right people locally who know how to be successful, because it's very different than buying a team in like Detroit, you know, just all the metrics are different. So, but from a, from a hockey standpoint, I mean, it makes lots of sense, right? Like, let's have 32 NHL teams, 32 AHL teams, 32 ECHL teams. Let's get everybody on the same page. But I, I still think we're years off from that because there are still NHL teams who don't really believe in the ECHL. They're not going to do a mass expansion either. They're not going to be like, all right, and introducing teams 30, 31, 32 all at once. It's going to happen gradually, if anything. Right. It, well, and, and one other thing, just one last thing on this. A lot of people like to say, we got to get to baseball. We got to make the system more like baseball, right? I am one Three of those tiers. people. Okay, totally fair. But there's one huge difference, yeah. huge one, between the way baseball does it and the way the ECHL does it, and that's travel. Okay, No, I, I, I agree. They do agree. not go out of their own geographic footprint. So if you look at the AA level of baseball, what, there's three leagues, and they all play in roughly the same – area right so if you subtract the travel from the arrangement you know that's a totally different animal to me so that's just one thing like everybody's like we gotta get to baseball well i understand what you mean but also you know oftentimes those major league teams they own the minor league teams too but the travel is the big thing like fort wayne's single a in baseball but they never ever go outside of the midwest so how nice is that for them you know meanwhile fort wayne you know, maybe we got to go to Newfoundland this week or we're going to Allen next week. You know, it's a little bit different when it comes to cost. For sure. But then again, um, you almost wonder if like if you go the baseball like model three tier development system. I agree with you because you would have to revamp. You would have to make it that you are really being geographically sensitive. So maybe you go to Newfoundland, but you go once. Maybe you go sure. and or or maybe even like I. I mean, frankly, it's like Newfoundland can afford to them travel a lot, but like it is a hassle to get out to the rock. Like it is not easy or logistically yeah. like make any sense. Well, and the other thing is in baseball, you know, like even all the way down to the single A, like those are all contracted guys, right? Yeah, like, that is that's another part too. So you, you need you need the players. Like like the NHL is gonna have to start putting money into the ECHL, if nothing else, then for officiating, because right now they're not putting a dime really into it yeah. officiating. Um, but you got to stock it with the players. And that's another thing with, with basketball. Like I would sit there and watch the G league and all these G league teams, they had at maximum, maximum 
four guys that were like with the NBA team. So you got this roster of 13 guys and most teams maybe it was two players. Like, so you're funding this whole operation just for the benefit of two players who maybe will make your roster because you're not sending a first round pick yeah. there. So that didn't make any sense. That is different. You're right. And if we're going to get to three tiered in hockey, you need more contracted guys. I think you got to figure out some way to do that too, just to prop the whole thing up. I agree with you on that for sure. Um, let's get to our team of the week, the Indy Fuel, affiliate of the Chicago Blackhawks and Rockford Ice Hogs. They've been on a tear this year. What's changed? Can I go Lee Corso on you? Like, <laughs> boy, I hope the Fort Wayne fans don't see this. Like, <laughs> I think I need to get like a hat for every team of the week that we have. Wait, what do you think? is that, that's not their current logo. That, yes, yes. That's the, oh, that's sorry. Cool. I see it now. Sorry. Yes. That's the Indy Fuel. And I, I we'll give their sponsors some, some love there. Yes. They, they gave that away at a recent game. So I brought it back for my daughter. Um, changed, you got a hat moving on. Um, no, yes. so it, it, yeah. Justin got a hat. Um, Indy Fuel. What's up with their tear this year? So this was a playoff team last year. And this was sort of the forgotten team um, of those playoff teams. Like we came to this year and we're like, oh, we're talking about Toledo. We're talking about Cincinnati. We're talking about Fort Wayne, but we didn't talk about Indy at all. And they got off to a poor start, like to the point that they were making big trades. And that's where it all turned around. Like last, uh, maybe two weeks ago, we talked about them. They acquired Anthony Petrozelli in a four player trade with Jacksonville. They gave up Luke Brown. And since then, basically, uh, they have been on a tear. Uh, right now, they're the hottest team in the league. They are, I just, I forgot my number, so I'm bringing it up here. I believe it's 6-0-1. Oh, uh, sorry, 6-0-2. Oh, Excuse me. That's what they are in their last eight. So right now, they're the hottest team in the league. So it starts with the trade. Now, I'm not going to tell you that Petrozelli or Victor Hadfield have put up major numbers since then. Uh, Petrozelli started to come on a little bit last week, uh, but it did somehow change the dynamic of that lineup a little bit. Um, I think they've got a really good coach, Duncan Dalmeo. Uh, I raved about him last year because I looked at their roster, and I'm like, eh, it's kind of an average, average roster, but he got them into the playoffs. Um, their power play has been on fire lately. Um so that's a big part of it. I mean, I think over that eight game stretch, they've got a power play goal in, uh, I think all but one of those games and goaltending. That's another big part of it. Um, Zach Driscoll has been on fire. He's got a nine seventeen save percentage right now. That is fourth best in the league. Uh, now that whole division is pretty wild because there's only, I believe is three points that separates second place from seventh place. So Fort Wayne right now is in last place based on points, but they're only three points back at second place. And they're all bunched up in winning percentage. Like Fort Wayne's actually third in winning percentage. Don't they go so up the whole, percentage? What's that? Don't they go well, up percentage? I just, I kind but of that close. You gotta. We, honestly, we kind of do go off winning percentage because I, well, I games feel like hand complicated, you know, games in hand complicated. Like I, I'm just laughing because I got in a big argument with my brother last night about, I, I talked about St. Louis being 500 in the last year and a half under Craig Berube. And my brother's like, what are you talking about? Like they're, you know, whatever it was like 12 games under 500. And I realized he's, percentage. he's going, 
I'm going by percentage. Like I'm going ECHL style. He's going, you know, like whatever they've yeah, won 30 per 33 percent yeah, of yeah, the yeah. games available. So yes, I'm going by point percent. So I, I have this ECHL way of thinking uh, that if your wins are equal to your losses, your regulation losses, then you're 500 because shootout losses and overtime losses are a wash because we do two points for a win, one point for uh, overtime or shootout loss, if that makes sense. Let's not go down the weeds with it right now. Right. Uh, <laughs> Sorry for ever asking. Continue. Yes. So they're all bunched up. That's the point here. Central division, like you cannot make any sense of who we know Toledo is the best team, but beyond that, I don't have a clue, but I thought two weeks ago that Indy was the worst team and they have come on Zach Driscoll, a big part of it. Uh, funny thing about him is he's the one goalie that's not on a contract. He's an ECHL guy. They have Mitchell Weeks, who's on an AHL deal. So they've just turned around their play. You know, they don't have anybody that's really going to stand out and like scare you. Uh, they've just got a lot of nice players like uh, Brian Lem- Lemos, uh, Cameron Hillis, really opportunistic. John Martin's got 10 goals this year. Um, Santino Centurame. Just a lot of nice players, but nobody that really stands out and blows you away. But if you have the right coach who can put them in the right situations to succeed, it works. And that's what's going on with Indy right now. Good stuff. Now let's move on to our prospect of the week. This is an interesting one. Johnny Tychonic. Uh, oh, I butchered that. Tychonic? Yes. Tychonic. Uh, Tychonic. Yes. Gosh. That's all right. You salvaged it. I'm proud of you. Well, this was a big time prospect in his draft year. I'll tell you that. Went in the second round to the Senators. Some draft experts at the time had him maybe creeping into late first. Like this was a, a legitimate prospect out of the BCHL. Went to North Dakota, but then ended up at Nebraska Omaha. Fizzled out there. And then in true Marley's growlers fashion, they signed this guy to an AHL deal, but stashed him with their double A affiliate uh in Newfoundland, where there's other, you know high upside prospects with the growlers and he's off to a strong start with the growlers this year. I mean, it's a really good example of, I'm not always sure how much you can tell. Just look at a guy's college stats. His college stats were good. Uh, You know, his last year, I think it was eight goals, 26 points in 35 games. Um, Now that I say it out loud, I guess that is really good. Uh, But, you know, he came in day one and was making an impact last year. Uh, Played seven regular season games, but then in the playoffs, and they had that really nice run, he had 16 points in 15 games, now only one goal. But for a rookie to come in and average more than a point per game over 15 playoff games, I mean, that's pretty impressive. And they face some some good defensive teams like, like Florida. Uh, so, But this season, I don't know, he just stood out. I watched some of them playing at Idaho, I guess it was a week and a half ago. And it was just they were they were saying his name every two seconds, and you saw him rushing into the play, and he's bringing the puck up ice. Um, he's got three goals and twenty two points in twenty three games, so he's second among all ECHL rookies, regardless of position and points, and he's second among all ECHL defensemen, regardless of age in points. The only defenseman who has more points is Jalen Smerick of Cincinnati. So he's impacting even strength. He's impacting power play on the power play. He's got uh, two goals, nine assists uh, in 23 games. So he just looks great. You know, like he's already kind of one of those guys that's like, I'm not sure what he's still doing down at this level. Uh, But yeah, I mean, like you said, uh, you know, big, big draft stock 
uh, one of those guys that you're like, wow, I remember that guy's name. What's he doing down here? So it's interesting that he's our prospect of the week because we just talked about like players and the NHL being involved with like the three tier model. But to your point about how it's not really realistic, it's because the guys like him that are here, this is, if anything, a development for like the AHL, right? Not necessarily like to think yeah. this is attached directly to the Leafs. It's true because by and large, we're the same entity. This is more of a realistic AHL project. So, like, it's not necessarily like the same thing as a three tier MLB system. Yeah, that's true. Like, we should be, that's a good point. Like, we should be thinking of it. We're trying to develop for the next level. Right. But we also need us, we also need a spot though for those really raw guys, you know, like Sebastian Cosa last year. Like, hey, he's outgrown juniors, but he's just not ready for the AHL. That's what the ECHL is for, you know, like Luke Prokop this year. You know, like just we need a place for some of those guys, but it would be nice if the NHL teams would also embrace it and maybe um, identify this guy isn't quite ready for the AHL. uh, But it used to be like, well, if you're sending him to the ECHL, that means you're just done with him. And we need to get over that thinking. I guess that's what I'm I'm getting at there. No, I agree with you. Absolutely. Um, Okay, so we got to get to the chicken nugget. Yeah, so Kalamazoo Wings. This is really more than anything. This is a little Kalamazoo Wings segment. So as we recorded last last week, so brought the, it up. The de- December 6th, that was the viral chicken nugget. If you somehow missed this, morning game between Toledo and Kalamazoo. And apparently whenever Toledo and Kalamazoo get together, I need to be getting videos because that was also the two teams where they both were wearing Toledo jerseys and that went viral. So a kid chucks a chicken nugget onto the ice and Kirill Tutayev shoots it back into the stands, gets a 10 minute misconduct for a piece of chicken. Um, I'm very, still very proud of my tweet that day, which was, you know, this is, this is like, crime on the boneless wings what are the kalamazoo wings going to do well what the kalamazoo wings did was they scored the next six goals and won that game at toledo six to two then (laughs) kalamazoo beat iowa Mm -hmm. 10 to three tanner Sorensen and ty glover who is a vancouver canucks prospect both had hat tricks in that game then kalamazoo beat iowa again four to three in overtime on a glover goal then they beat Cincinnati seven to five. Now, granted, Cincinnati had Julian Syme up from the SBHL in net, but still a big win for Kalamazoo. Eric Bradford had a hat trick. So as we just <laughs> determined, the Central Division is a gauntlet. It was looking for a bit like Kalamazoo was in trouble because I had talked them up big coming into the season. But ever since that chicken nugget, they have, they have been unbeatable. And I think it's hilarious to see. Um, and one thing I just, I, I got to say it, like it was so nice to see the ECHL and Toledo like lean into this thing. Like I, for whatever reason in this league, like through the years, if something kooky happens or there's some viral video or I've posted something and I'm making fun of it, like they hide and pretend that it didn't happen. Like you kind of lean into this stuff. It's so funny. This is the ECHL. This is what people like you're getting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just people are paying attention. Like, like you're getting hits, you're getting clicks. Like that's what they should want. So Toledo was leaning into it. They had Kirill Tutayev make a video because they had the teddy bear toss in the next game. And he's like, you know, listen, don't throw chicken nuggets, throw teddy bears. Like that's awesome. the ECHL was having fun. So I love seeing that from them. 
whoever's doing the social media for the ECHL this year, I, I wish I remembered her name right now. She's a, a young woman that they, it's her first year. She's doing a great job, like recirculating content, having fun with this stuff. I even told the commissioner, like, that's what they should be doing. So anyway, the wings, uh, nuggets. I, it's the reverse curse of the Nuggets or something, but they are on fire, and they are a big part of why that division is so tough right now. Wings, Nuggets, lots of chicken talk. Okay, let's go to Coast to Coast, Justin Cohn's usual news notes and quotes before we sign off. So last week, I told you that we were going to learn a lot about three teams in particular, South Carolina, Idaho, and Cincinnati. What did we learn? We learned that South Carolina is for real. I believe they won three of four games last week. I think it was two out of three against Florida. Idaho was the big series that I was watching. They were playing Kansas City for the first time at Kansas City. Took two out of three, including a one to nothing victory in the last one. I don't think there was much doubt, uh, but I also come away from that thinking Kansas City is for real too, which was probably the bigger question. Like, Nobody was blowing the doors off anybody. What it was was great competitive close hockey. Cincinnati, I feel a little less strongly about uh, because they lost not only that game to um, Kalamazoo, but they had trouble with Toledo. So I do think we learned a lot. We learned that South Carolina is legit. Idaho and Kansas City both legit. Cincinnati might have some work to do uh, based on what we saw last week. But that whole division, again, um, a gauntlet. We've talked uh, a lot about neck guards, um, but one thing I, I don't know if I realized or maybe I forgot, uh, last summer the ECHL mandated cut-resistant socks and wrist guards, and when I was talking to the commissioner, he didn't tell me which player, uh, but he said a player was really saved from having the cut-resistant socks uh, sometime within the last two weeks, that if he didn't have them on, he probably would have uh, cut his Achilles from a skate. Wow. So they're really happy with that. And I also asked, I, I guess I should clarify, um, you know, I asked him if neck guards are coming and he said they, he believes they are at this level. They do not need a uh, player association approval to do that. Like Correct. if they're thinking that falls under the uniform standards, like you're protecting um, an asset. Like it is the way they think of it too. Well, I guess they control what, you what um yeah what constitutes part of the uniform yeah part of the uniform and so i i found that interesting for some reason i thought that so did i actually i looked into it i thought the same thing yeah yeah so but because at the nhl level i think that does have to be collectively bargained but maybe a lot of people just reported it wrong yeah so the nhl would have to be for to be mandatory i believe the pa would have to sign off on that i'm almost positive and then the phpa uh they don't need like the teams don't need for whatever reason you need approval to mandate a piece of equipment. That's just you know how it why, is. You know why I bet that is? Hmm. It's probably because <laughs> they they just know the PHPA would start you know, complaining about every specialty jersey they have to wear. Right. So they just didn't even leave right, that as right. an option. Like, could yeah. you imagine? We, we need to collectively bargain those SpongeBob jerseys. Yeah, I was just going to say, I yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll wear neck guards, but no more SpongeBob. This is a great question we should ask somebody on the show. Like, why <laughs> can the players have any say over the specialty jerseys you're making them wear? Because yeah. I saw some, sorry, Fuel, they had they were wearing Snoopy last week. And it's like, it's just, it's it's difficult Weird. to look tough, like trying to fight a guy while you got Snoopy a Snoopy on jersey him. on. But what <laughs> somebody tweeted to me, they're like, hey, how dare you? Snoopy was a World War One fighter ace. And that was a great, that was a great, uh, 
comment. You're looking at me like that's above. That's just above your yep. head. Snoopy. He he would fight. He would fly a plane against the Red Baron. Yeah. He was he was a fight race. Oh, Great. I'm gonna get roast online. Perfect. I got it. Well, at least once a week. We got we got to exploit the age gap here. Um. So. Speaking of Toledo, Cincinnati, uh, some news from the bad. Uh, there was a fan ejected for making an alleged racial gesture toward uh, Cincinnati's Jalen Smerrick in one of those games that was in Toledo last week. Worth mentioning that Cincinnati also has a black head coach, Jason Payne, a friend of this show. Uh, the fan was ejected. Uh, the referee, I, I queued up the video, the referee handled it really well, uh, found out who the fan was, made sure he was ejected before play continued. Hopefully banned from any. Yeah, I don't know if anything happened after that. Uh, sad to see that this happened to Jalen Smerrick again. again because he went through this playing overseas and was part of the reason that he came back here. And that was something that we talked about with Jason Payne. Uh, but everybody handled that situation i thought like right down to the toledo blade reporter mark monroe um very easy to get in a situation like that and say this isn't happening to the home team maybe i'm just not gonna cover that mark's a real pro so he did a full coverage on it talked to both teams talked to players from fort wayne uh, excuse me from toledo um front office talked to jason Payne. um so really handled that well and everybody was saying the right things um, you know, who am I to say what's the right thing? But, you know, Jason Payne paraphrasing, saying this is this is good um, dinner time conversation that you should have with people to teach them the things to do and not to do. Um, so unfortunate situation, but handled uh, well, as far as I can tell. Uh, huge trade this week. Utah sent Jordan Martell to the Wheeling Nailers for defenseman Quinn Witchers. Now, why am I chuckling? Because I'm thinking again about the, the central division. So Wheeling, not only do they get Jordan Martell, who I think is a fantastic offensive player that I'm sort of been like, why was he not in the AHL? Uh, they also got Owen Hedrick, who was the defenseman of the year last year. So all of a sudden Wheeling, who we haven't even mentioned today, is stocked up too. Uh, but getting Jordan Martell, I, I was surprised by this trade. Quinn Witchers, good defenseman, AHL games, six foot four, 216 pounds. He blocks a bunch of shots. Saw some reports today that there's also futures going to Utah, but it really surprised me to see that Jordan Martell, because he had been a huge part of their offense since getting traded about a year ago from Fort Wayne. I mean, he was a monster the second half of the season in the playoffs for them. So surprised to see it. He hadn't had huge numbers this year, but Wheeling stocking up. Uh, and I have heard, I tweeted this out today, that there are a lot of ECHL teams looking for defensemen right now. That's nothing new, but I was told that uh, it seems to be more than usual that right now everybody's freaking out that they need good quality defensemen. Uh, and last thing for Coast to Coast, wanted to acknowledge yet another former ECHL player has made it to the NHL, former South Carolina Stingrays and Newfoundland Growlers forward Mark Johnstone. He became the 744th former ECHL player to reach the NHL when he debuted with the Pittsburgh Penguins uh, last Friday at Florida. Uh, he played with South Carolina in 2021. He had two assists in five games. Then he played 58 games with the Growlers in 21-22, had seven goals, 14 assists. 
and uh, then played another 19 games during the playoffs, had four goals, eight points. So he was a fairly productive player. But guys, keep moving up to the NHL. Awesome. All right. Good stuff there. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening. That is it. Nice hat by Justin to replace his mustache that he shaved. It looks good. Much more clean. Yes. I, I look no at longer least, about your radio. I look at least two years younger, right? Yeah, that's true. And that would make you 45 years younger than me. But anyways, thank you for listening, folks. 45 years older than you. Oh, God, you're right. I butchered a good punchline there. Nothing new. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we will see you back here next week. Take care.